Hello and welcome to Stories in Sports Journalism, the podcast which gathers an insight into what it takes to be a sports journalist. On today's show, we sit down with Seth Bennett, an award-winning broadcast sports journalist and commentator with over 23 years of experience. And Lennox Lewis donated £100,000, whatever it was, towards the victims of the terrorist attacks. And I I missed some words. We all knew it's David bloody Beckham. Um, but then to remember your name at the end of the 15-minute interview, you know, I, I think that's just remarkable. R- remarkable. Welcome along to episode one of Stories in Sports Journalism. I am Joe, your host for today's show, and I am proudly joined by my co-hosts, Kyle and Jacob. How are we, lads? Not too bad, thank you. Yeah, I'm great, thank you. Yeah, so like we said in the intro, today we are joined by absolute royalty in the sports journalism world, (laughs) Seth, the marvellous Seth Bennett. How are we, Seth? Yeah, good. Thanks, boys. Good. I apologise. I'm a bit sniffly and full of cough and cold, uh, but I will uh, I will struggle through manfully for you. Brilliant, brilliant. So uh, to kick things off, we've obviously, like a lot of other podcasts, we've we've thought of an icebreaker question, uh, and it is three things that you would most need on a desert island. Um, <laughs> ooh, do we do we get food already? Um, what should we say? Should we give them food? Yeah, we'll give yeah, them the yeah, basics. Well, you you yeah. Give me the basics. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I, I would say a radio. Yep. I would say a guitar. Oh, a guitar. And I would say... Oh, wow, third third thing. Some headphones. Oh, right. <laughs> how, how long have you played guitar for? Oh, since I was 14 or 15. Oh, yeah. I oh, fell, wow. fell in love with Guns N' Roses, and that was that. Proper music. Lovely. Proper music. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that they're at Glastonbury this year, as old timers, makes me feel very old. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, so yeah, so we want to take it right back. The idea of sort of behind this podcast is we want to sort of, you know, get people on who have who have had careers or maybe just starting their careers in this industry that obviously we're we're all studying to sort of get involved in later down the line. So yeah, I guess if we take it right back to your sort of earliest memory with anything to do with journalism, whether it was the like something to do with the media or just your earliest memory? I think probably for me was Saturday afternoons. And I lived in a house probably, what, half a mile from here on Granville Road. And from Granville Road, you used to be able to hear Bramall Lane on a Saturday afternoon. And you would hear the crowd cheering and all the rest of it. And within Sheffield, there was, um, there was a guy called Robert Jackson. He presented the sports programming on a Saturday afternoon. And these are in the days where local radio didn't have commentary. It wasn't ever part of the equation. So the way that you would follow your team is you'd put the radio on and you would listen. And they would have goal updates as and when they went in. And they would have a half-time report, a full-time report. And so for me, as a six, seven, eight-year-old, I used to listen to that religiously on a Saturday. And whether it was Ian Kennedy reporting on Chesterfield, Brian Chappell reporting on Rotherham United, Alan Smith on Doncaster Rovers. Then you had the Sheffield United and the the Sheffield Wednesday 
reporters who who did their gig, if you like, uh, and they would keep you updated as to what was going on. And that, for me, was uh, just a, a massive part of my Saturday afternoon, sitting in the or playing outside in the garden with a radio on, listening to when was going on, and you'd hear the cheer in the distance at Bramall Lane, and 30 seconds later you would hear somebody tell you about how that goal had gone in. And I think all of those things are, are things that are really exciting to me. Uh, and that started to build my love of, first of all, radio. And then slowly but surely it was listening to um, Radio 2 when they used to cover sport. And they would have those European commentaries. And I remember listening to Dundee United. I guess it was the Cup Winners' Cup or the old UEFA Cup potentially. Um, and listening to them of an evening where you would get that sound of the... And you'd have like coat hangers, you know, on the end of the aerials to try and get this better signal. Uh, And then kind of it moving on to to listening to Test Match Special uh, when England played in the World Cup final in New Zealand. I was in a a caravan in Skegness or somewhere like that um, with some friends. And I woke up at stupid o'clock in the morning and I got my shortwave radio and I got it underneath the pillow and listening to that. And then as I got a little bit older, it was the Armed Forces Radio Network. Um, which would have all of the baseball and the uh-huh. NFL on a Sunday night. And so what what I did unknowingly was built up this really quite broad base of different kinds of sports broadcasting. And it was something that I just loved. I just loved to listen to it because it took me places. I could be there freezing cold in the middle of winter, but listening to these warm voices talking about the cricket in Australia. Mm-hmm. Or somebody at Lambeau Field talking about it being freezing temperatures there and and how the Green Bay Packers had done this, that and the other. And, you know, I I loved the San Francisco 49ers in the 80s and 90s, like anybody that was interested in American football at that point. And these little connections, if you like, they, they were what really firmed up my bond with sport through that period of time. Yeah, I mean, at that age, obviously you speak about being very young and you're, you're listening to it. Do you sort of, well, for you anyway, did you sort of think this is something I could see myself getting a career in or was it something just purely out of enjoyment? Like, what was it for you? It's always something I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember sitting there recording, you know, tape after tape of football commentary off the TV where I would just sit there with a dictaphone and I would, you know, we didn't have phones back then, so yeah. I had a dictaphone and I'd just commentate on whatever the game had. You know, again, remember, I was born in 78. Right. So by the time I was 10, you know, you used to get one match a week on a Sunday afternoon on ITV. By the time I was sort of 11, 12, Sky had come in. We didn't initially have Sky because my parents didn't agree with it. Uh, but eventually you start to get a few more games on Sky mm-hmm. and you know it's all all of those moments that kind of led me to want to do that and I, I did want to do that and, and so that was something I was always there I remember having the conversation with a, a careers advisor at school and they said what do you want to be I said uh, I want to commentate on sport they looked at me and laughed and 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 kind of said well we think you might be good at working in a solicitor's office mm-hmm. and I just thought so disheartening (laughs) how dull could that ever be Uh, and you know what I ended up doing my work experience when I was in fourth year I guess year 10 uh, at a solicitor's office 
I spent the whole time sitting in the library at the solicitor's office, and the guy was a massive cricket fan. He's a guy called Alan Farnell, and he's he's got two lads that were similar age to me, and he ran Hallam Cricket Club. Uh, and basically, my work experience was sitting in in this library listening to Test Match Special whilst doing all the admin for his his club. Um, and a couple of times I went out to court and what have you, yeah. but but really, and he was. He would come in. This is the guy who was like the big boss. And he would just come and sit with me and talk about cricket and about football and about whatever because he was as passionate about it as I was. And, you know, I, I think that that's that's probably the one thing that is something I've always been just really, really passionate about all sport. But, you know, particularly in, in my younger years, it was it was about listening to it and watching it and getting as much of it as possible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think... Um, the thing with the teachers there, it's uh, it's a bit it's a bit difficult because you know if someone says, "Oh, I want to report on sport," the teacher might be like, "Oh, well, you know that's not feasible." But obviously, you know that there is a big industry there, and um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like it when sort of teachers, uh, you know, say to kids like, "Oh, no, don't don't bother doing that." It's sort of a uh, it's yeah that li- that limiting behaviour. Yeah. The reality is that what advice can they give? Because this is an industry that there isn't one route that you go into yeah. um, in order to do all of this stuff. I mean, I did hospital radio at the children's hospital when I was little. Mm-hmm. Um, but my big break came. I was an au pair. You know, I finished school and I was an au pair. I went and I lived in North America and I played a bit of ice hockey and I didn't know what to do with myself. I'd flunked out on my A-levels of not being very good. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, oh, you know what? let's just go away for a year. That turned into two. While I was away, uh, the Radio Sheffield had a program all about the Sheffield Steelers. There's a weekly call-in show, whatever, called The Ice Line. Anyway, I'd been listening to, in the very early advent of the internet, the Steelers had been playing in Finland in this European competition. And there was, a, there was something called Pow Wow. Pow Wow was one of the first chat programs outside of AOL. And it allowed speech. So VoIP, basically. Now, this is 1998, so right in the first part of the internet. And my parents and I used to correspond on this, and we used to chat on it, and it it was so glitchy, it was god-awful. But what they did is they put the microphone in front of the radio speaker, and I listened to Radio Sheffield whilst I was in New Jersey. And um, they said, you know, you should ring up Radio Sheffield and tell them. So I did, and I rang them up mid-afternoon to me I was about to go and pick the kids up from school um, it, I just did it as a bit of a laugh anyway they kept me on for quite a long period of time and again at that point you couldn't listen to a British radio station anywhere else you couldn't listen to Radio Sheffield outside of South Yorkshire so it was a big thing for them oh yeah. you listen to the game you're all the way over there and that's amazing you know, you're 4,000 miles away you know um, and they made a big deal about it and then they said oh you know do you mind if we call you back every once in a while I said, yeah, fine, you know, whatever. And I, I got to know a couple of the producers, and I asked them, you know, when I when I come back, you know, this is something I'd really like to do. What, how do you suggest I go about it? Mm-hmm. Um, when I came back to the UK, um, I started working selling fridges, pharmacy fridges, um, for my dad, because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, so I'll do that, make a bit of money, and then figure out how to do everything else. I think that was in the September and in the October, Radio Sheffield had invited me to come in. I said, oh, just come in, whatever. When I went in, they said, 
look, we can't offer you very much money, but would you like to start reporting on the Steelers? It's 15 quid a game um, if you can get the interviews for us. Mm-hmm. And that was it. That was, the, that was the foot in the door that I needed to be able to go to all yeah. the Steelers games. Um, the guy, I was very fortunate that the captain of the team at the time was a guy I'd known for a lot of years, uh, and he looked after me really, really well. The head coach was a really, really nice guy who, again, looked after me. And then the guys that filmed all the games, um, he was short of a commentator. So he asked me whether I would do the commentary. Um, and I'm never going to say no. Like, I'll just throw mm-hmm. myself into yeah, exactly, it. exactly, yeah. Uh, and, and see what happens. And it was similar with, with Radio Sheffield. You know, I happened to be there one Tuesday night reporting on a game for them. Doing a, 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 this was probably only the February. And they they said, um, oh, it's half time in the football. Do you want to do a bit of commentary? Sure. Yes, please. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that, you know, maybe I was too young. You know, I was 20 years old. I wasn't, I wasn't maybe smart enough to recognize the the challenge of what was there uh, and my I also probably didn't recognize my inability to be able to do a good job but I didn't care mm-hmm. I was just going to give it a go and yeah. as long as people kept asking me to then I was going to keep saying yes yeah. uh, and so that's where it all kind of started for me and then by the middle of the the following year uh-huh. that was something where I was doing a lot more work for them they'd asked me to come in and do read their weekend sports news bulletins so I was reading those for them um and there was some turmoil with the Steelers where I was having to pop up on the breakfast show and do two ways about financial problems and things like this. And there was a, a program on Channel 4 uh, where they were covering the Challenge Cup. And they were looking for some different voices. Yeah. And so they offered to pay me, like I think it was probably three grand, to cover ten games. And I was like, quit my job. Never look back. Well... If you if you think it was fifteen, you know it was it's fifteen quid a game I was getting. Yeah, I think I I eventually rose to the princely sum of forty three pounds sixteen when I did commentary of a full game, um, <laughs> and and so for them to offer me three grand to do this series, this ten show series, big difference. That's a huge chunk yeah. of money, yeah. and what it allowed me to do was just say, actually, you know what? So I, I'd be on it. We, we got like a startling number of viewers like it was the second most watched thing on TV at the time in its oh, time slot really yeah. Oh, oh yeah completely like it was absolutely bonkers um, and the way that they did it was completely different you know it was a different style of doing stuff and what that allowed me to do was then I'd go and do this show where like I'd be kind of co-presenting and commentating on this this program and then at the same time I'd go away and I would go back to Radio Sheffield and I'd collect the papers and I would BA the breakfast show you know I'd do make the cups of tea and, and do whatever it took to understand how that radio station was working and I'd spend you know whenever I went in on a Sunday night to go and leave the interview clips I'd go and sit in the studio for an hour and a half and I'd print off all the scripts from the sports programme from the day before and I would present that sports programme to nobody yeah and, and, you know like I think about now and I think is, is that is that mad I don't know. Maybe it was mad. Practice, practice but, makes but, perfect. But but it was it was just a desire to understand yeah. how everything worked and how I could get better at it. Yeah, I mean, I guess because I think nowadays, like people that I've spoke to and stuff are like sort of almost like 
hesitant to to start something because they are sort of um you know no one's going to listen or it's hard to sort of get out there but i guess in sort of this industry and like what you're talking about you sort of just need to say yes to as much as possible and then it should all fall into place you can't you can't be hesitant really in this sort of industry no and they say there's something called air miles mm-hmm. and that's the amount of time you're on air and it took me you know, i've told you boys before you know it's probably probably took me five or six years to feel who i was on air you know, I'm not a great reader. I'm terrible at reading out loud. So how do you read a bulletin when you're not very good at reading out loud? Well, you just work at it. Improvise. And you get better. And, you know, the more experience, the more things that go wrong, you learn from those. The more things that go right, you learn from those. Mm-hmm. You get a bit of feedback from people along the way. Have you thought of doing this? Have you thought of doing that? You know, I remember reading the first bulletins I read. I don't know, I didn't know when to breathe. Yeah. I used to write little V's on my paper to that one. as to where I needed to breathe because I would just be like, you know, mm. Sheffield United are playing away at Portsmouth today and they've got four different injury problems and the manager says this and this is happening and that's happening. And <laughs> you know, Overwhelming. Uh, and that was it, you know, that, that understanding. Take your time. Mm-hmm. Relax. You know, everyone says, oh, take your time and relax. Just be you. What the hell does that it's mean? It's easier said than done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Completely. But with experience, well, you do relax mm-hmm. and you do allow things to come to you at the, the right kind of space and time and that makes everything a bit easier. Yeah, of course. Um, uh, so then what was like the next sort of next step in, in, the, in the career? Um, well, probably within the early 2000s, we launched something on Radio Sheffield called uh, Football Heaven. Oh, yeah. which was a nightly football program. Um, and Radio Sheffield is, you know, Praise or Grumble is the original football phoning. It was the first one. And the reason that why they had one then was Robert Jackson, who I mentioned earlier, he wanted to figure out how you got between 5 o'clock and 6 o'clock on a match day when you had to wait 20 minutes for all of these interviews to come in. Um, and so he just opened the phone lines. Uh-huh. And he came up with this... He, I think he said he was in Spain on holiday when he came up with the idea. It's you know. a genius idea. And he said, well, I'll, um, I'll open the phone lines and I'll speak to them. And it was always, you know, like you listen to football phone-ins now and it's very, very serious. Everyone's <laughs> upset about everything. That was always ever so slightly, you know, poking fun at the situation. And it was quite jovial. And it'd be like, you know, right, we're going to go to line two next. Who's on line two? It's Joe. <laughs> Hi, Joe, where are you from? <laughs> yeah, I'm from Healy. Right, praise or grumble. And that was his mechanic, and it was either a praise or a grumble. And they got on with it. Uh-huh. And he would give them 30, 40 seconds to say what they want. If they were good, he might give them one question. All right, thanks for your call. And he, he'd just move on, and that was how he did it. And it became this, like, it is an institution, so much so the radio stations have stolen that and used it as as part of what they're doing people have you know I think the, the other local radio station called it Ratum or Slatum that was their <laughs> their knockoff version it was like the Aldi version of, of football <laughs> phonings and um, that for me was something I always wanted to do I wanted to do that and be part of that and I went from the ambition of I just wanted to commentate on the Steelers to seeing this now open up into actually I could do football because I always thought that football was going to be too difficult to get into even when I started so I found this niche that I could do 
but I never saw it opening up to football until one day I'm sitting there on the desk and the sports editor goes oh, it's a bloody nightmare this not got anybody to go to Portsmouth on Sunday <laughs> I'll go yeah, yeah, I'll go yeah, yeah. yeah but you're in the sports news Sunday morning don't care I'll go and that was it I went and did Portsmouth Barnsley so I think I started at four and I, no way they'd let it happen now but I think I started at four and then I pre-recorded the 11 and 12 o'clock sports news bulletins so after my 10 o'clock I could just go so it was a pre like they'd never let you do that now but I just yeah. drove all the way down there I had Pro Plus on the way back to try and stay awake <laughs> nearly vomited about 27 <laughs> times because they're just absolutely filthy tablets that you should never oh. take um but it was the opportunity. Yeah. And then from there, you know, more opportunities came. And I I think in 2000 and, uh, I can't remember when it was, but I ended up going down to London. And I ended up working down there for about six months for Five Live. And then I came back. Uh, and I worked for a station called Team Talk 252, who arrived in 2002. And... Um, I kind of moved away from Radio Sheffield because the news editor at the time says, well, you're never going to be a proper sports journalist. It's not going to happen for you. I was like, all right, fine. Mm -hmm. So I moved down to London, worked for Five Live as a producer down there and learned a load of stuff. And then this sports station set up in Leeds, which took over from Atlantic 252 on Longwave. Um, and basically, it, it was just a load of young guys that were going to try and make some output. And they did like things that, you know, we commentated on the World Cup, all from the studio. It was like a you got crowd effects and you press a button when a goal went in. I commentated on like three England games and commentated on all of these different things, you know, all these different games. So again, it was a different skill set that I was using, learning to do all of this. And I think it lasted six months, and then we got taken over by a betting company, and we were all laid off. At which point, I came back to Radio Sheffield and just said, like, what have you got? And they said, well, do you fancy following Donny Rovers for us? And then we'll see what other, what else we can get for you. Mm -hmm. well, it was the year that Donny Rovers got promoted from the conference. So I got to do loads of commentary on them. But then I was doing the Steelers stuff, and I was doing a bit of basketball. I started doing a bit of boxing. And so all of it started to come together a little bit more for me. At that point, I did a bit of rugby league for Radio Leeds, like anything to earn money. I was working on, they had a, a community bus. I was working as a journalist there. I was BAing on the breakfast show. I was doing a, a little bit, starting to do a little bit of presentation. And then Football Heaven arrived. And then I was part of the team that created that, doing a bit of produ production and a bit of presentation. And it kind of kicked off from there. And, and that was sort of the big next step to me where I then became one of the three main sports presenters on Radio Sheffield. And I was on air five days a week and like my best year I think I commentated on 120 something football matches and I did a similar not a similar number but I did probably 30 ice hockey matches and I did quite a lot of boxing that year as well and you can't but improve during that period of time mm. and you know everybody you know I knew all the managers I could pick up the phone and call them at any point and we were going on the air and we were every day and it was you know three young guys it was me there was Luke Warman there was Paul Walker and the three of us were born within a year of each other um, and we've all gone on to have successful careers elsewhere and we just lived it we lived it we, we co-hosted co Football Heaven 
guys had come in on the day off. Like, we were all at work at nine o'clock in the morning, not for any other reason than we wanted to be there. It's really good to hear that. So yeah. it, it, it was like want, a chemistry yeah. between you all. Yeah, it's, it's going to work with your mates, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, and you sit there and you're talking about football and you're making this content every day that people are consuming. Mm-hmm. You know, like the local managers were listening to the programmes. The chairman of clubs, I mean, you would go through the process where a chairman would phone you before they sack a manager say this is what's going to happen what do you think the reaction is going to be or a chairman would have sacked a manager and said I'd really like this guy to get involved would you do me a favour and make the call because you knew everybody you you get players phone you up and say hey can you do us a favour I'm looking for a move is there any chance that you could just mention my name to yeah sure no problem and and that was and we were the same age as the players you know we were all in our early to mid 20s mm-hmm. and so like the likes of Michael Brown Phil Jagielka uh, Michael Tong at Sheffield United who yeah. were all kind of coming through at the same age Paddy Kenny I guess was, was another one Chris Morgan so there was this, these groups of players that came through who were our peers that they you know did we socialise lots with them not loads but a little bit and we all got on very well and at the same time, you know, the managers were, were good managers to be dealing with. The likes of Neil Warnock, Paul Sturrock at, at Sheffield Wednesday, Ronnie Moore at Rotherham United, uh, and, you know, Dave Penny, and then eventually Sean O'Driscoll at Donny Rovers. And you knew the chairman, you knew the managers, you knew the players, and you were this, you knew everything that was going on within your area. And you, th- that was a just an amazing time. And it was kind of really before the internet had massively taken off and certainly social media had taken off so you're breaking stories every single day yeah i was gonna say that actually because i think it's important for sort of context for like people listening because this is at a time before the likes you know like the this what are they, like the fan channels now that are, yeah. are, are all over the place this is because if you if you sit down and thought right we're gonna phone in football fans now everyone does it it's sort of like Oh yeah, we but this is like what fifteen plus years ago. Yeah, yeah. So to to sort of think that that as an idea, I think people need to sort of realise that that w- it wasn't the norm at that at that point. No, and we we did things like we were pioneers. We, we, we <laughs> yeah. were essentially. Yeah. We we were the first local radio station to have our commentary simulcast on Five Live Sports Extra when they did the Sheffield Derby. Um, we were the first station to do fan commentary, uh-huh. um, which we we split our frequencies. And on one of the frequencies, we had a Sheffield United, a Sheffield Wednesday fan commentate on the Derby match, um, which just was complete. I mean, we, we would spend hours on the production, you know, like, and I, I can't even tell you that, like, you'd do a music mix or a goals mix or whatever, and you would spend six hours on it. And you'd go in the studio and you'd whack the speakers off. Oh, what do you think of this? And part of it was like you're pushing, you're all pushing each other to be better. And the other yeah. part is you wanted to impress the other guys that you'd gone off and you'd done something that was like, wow, so that, it's that a great, sounds a great environment to be in. Then yeah, yeah. It, it was. And you know what? We we were arrogant so and sos. We were. We thought we were good. <laughs> we were good. Well, clearly, clearly you were. <laughs> no, we we were good, but we probably thought we were better than we were. Um, <laughs> but but that kind of. That kind of helped a little bit. You you, you sort of, you know, do have to believe in yourself. Like, you know, it's not some, it's not something that the the opportunities are going to come your way if you're like a closed book. You sort of do have to 
you know, put yourself out there, I think. If if you could go back to that time, would you? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> yeah, better. Like, I think I was earning 25 grand a year. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working 70 hours a week, and I couldn't have had more fun. Um, you know, we, we had we had a billboard on Bramall Lane. You know, the team behind your team. That was the, the strap line that we'd come up with. Uh, yeah. It was just a picture of the three of us. Um, I think we had a football or, or whatever. And it, it was great. You know, it, it was... That was that was just a, a wonderful time to be part of things, and you know, a few years ago I was over in Sydney, and one of the Blades players at the time, or from back at that time, was a guy called Nick Montgomery, and I just dropped him a message, hey mate, I'm in Sydney, what's going on? Um, and he he's with the Gold Coast Mariners, he's one of the coaches there, and it was the time where Usain Bolt was training up there with them, and he just he just mate, come up for breakfast tomorrow, still. Jags, whenever I see Phil Jagielka around, you know, he's always brilliant with us. Uh, you know, it always text him, message back straight away. Same with Michael Brown. All of that team, all of the guys from that era, across all of the six local clubs that we covered, you know, whenever you bump into them, and some of them have gone on to, to some really great things. You know, Kyle Walker was at the back end of that, commentating on his debut and, and his first season. And again, I didn't get to know him really, really well, but the there was a time he knew me better than I knew him and to a certain degree we were more famous than some of the footballers that we were commentating on that's that's, crazy it it is no it it was what a status to have (laughs) but but it was a little bit like that and you know I'm not talking about the the big guys that that were United on Wednesday but the guys that certainly were were at Donny or at um, Chesterfield for example you know we had a bigger audience than they had on a on a daily basis. Hmm. Sorry, I've massively digressed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's really interesting how you got into it and yeah, and it just exploded from there. Yeah, that's because that's what this like. We all sat around and we were like, right, who's going to be the first guest? And we all sort of said you because obviously we because I'll probably say yes. <laughs> 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 yeah, but it's it's always uh, interesting because like we're obviously students trying to. You know, make our way. So yeah. it's, uh, it's really good. But you you, t- you touched on like social media. Yeah. Do you, what's your opinion on social media? Like, is it do you have a positive in in regards to sort of journalism, or is it made it worse? What do you sort of think? I think it's made it a lot harder. Harder. Because you, you 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 drive to tell stories. Yeah. You know that w- that was always a driver in me, which I, I probably didn't ever have at the start. But there came a point where Sheffield Star would arrive at 11.01 downstairs. We'd get it, and the three of us would stand around the table, and we'd flip the back page over. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All you've got is what we reported at 6 o'clock this morning. Rubbish, rubbish, rubbish. Yeah. Or you get it. And to give him his credit, Martin Smith, who, who you guys know, every once in a while he would have gone and done an exclusive with somebody. Oh, and, it, and you would get him on the podcast. Yeah, and <laughs> you'd get like a... Oh, God, how did he get that? How yeah. did he get that? You know, like, why did he get that? Like, oh, that's a pain in the ass. You know, that that kind of feeling. Um, and with social media, you don't tell those stories. You know, the, the, the joy of chasing down a story. And I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you an example of one. So, um, Barnsley were, were without a manager. And Rotherham United were in a bit of problems at the time, playing out of Don Valley. They had points deductions, blah, 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 blah. But they got themselves moving in the right direction under Mark Robbins. Anyway, 
The Barnsley chairman wanted Mark Robbins to be his manager. Mark Robbins became the Barnsley manager. The Rotherham United chairman wasn't very fond of that because he felt Rotherham better than Barnsley. A bit of that going on. He also wasn't happy that on some level we'd been used as a bit of an intermediary within the deal. He was aware of that. Anyway, he was sick of us getting leaked information because we were always one step ahead. And it would be BBC Radio Sheffield understands that Mark Robbins will be taking... Uh, or be named as the next manager of Barnsley later this morning. And then, you know, as we told you first this morning, Mark Robbins has just been named Barnsley manager. It's, it's kind of, because we were being told, like the chairman mm. of the club or, or the, the people that were involved, I'm not implicating Mark Robbins in this, it wasn't him. But we were, we knew there'd been a press call for four o'clock at Rotherham United to name their new manager. And nobody would tell us. And it just went dark. Like, Nobody would answer their phone. So we're like, you need two sources, right? So we're going around, and you're trying all the usual people. Who is it? Who's it going to be? We've got to get this story. Anyway, it gets to like one o'clock. Still got nothing. Slowly but surely, we're like, come out of the studio at one o'clock, having read the sports news, and we're like, right, let's nail this. And Paul and I sat at the desk and we just went at it. I must have made 30 phone calls. Just going through everybody, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Lo and behold, a guy now who's managing in, in the football league, who was working at Rotherham United, gave us the tip-off that Ronnie Moore was going to be coming back. Now, Ronnie Moore was a club legend. Um, he's, a, he's a scouser who made his start his career at Tranmere. Went to Rotherham United through the 70s and 80s. And he, he, he then led Rotherham United to the first division. Um, and they did really, really well before they eventually dropped down and what have you. But very much, you know, a, a guy that the fans have got a lot of affection for. Great character as well. Well, it's Ronnie. Anyway, we're going. We need another source. So we're trying everybody. Everybody that we can possibly find. But everybody's gone dark. And Ronnie, who would always answer his phone, nothing. Nothing. Eventually... I get a text message. And the text message just says, the king is back. And he, his nickname was King Ronnie, right? So the king is back. I've got my two sources. And it, it's like one minute past two. News bulletins on air. So literally, yeah. typed in. Got breaking news about Rotherham United. Seth Bennett has more. Walked into the news studio, gave it to the news presenter. Who literally, as they finished a bit of audio, just took the piece of paper. Breaking news now on BBC Radio Sheffield, uh, joined now by our sports presenter, Seth Bennett. Uh, Seth, what can you tell us? We can exclusively reveal <laughs> Ronnie Moore will be the next manager of Rotherham United. He'll be named at a press conference at four o'clock today. Blah, 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 blah. And went on. More with us throughout this afternoon. Of course, we're taking your calls in football heaven a little bit later on, but just to reclap, exclusively, we can reveal Ronnie Moore will be the next manager of Rotherham United. The fan forums go, you know, all exploding. Yeah. Uh, on Radio Sheffield have just said Ronnie Moore's going to be the next manager. Bloody, bloody, bloody. Walk out and we're high-fiving and all excited and sit down. And say, all right, well, what are we going to do next hour for the news? What are we going to get in there? What are we going to do for drive time? What are we going to provide them all with? Should we go and do the programme down at Rotherham United? Bloody, bloody, bloody. Got the press officer phoning up. What the hell are you doing? 
you know, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And then the phone goes. It's a message. It's Ronnie Moore. And I'd sent him a text just saying, congratulations, it'd be great to have you back. And his reply was, mate, gutted. I didn't get it. Oh, no. Oh, and you've told everyone. <laughs> oh, yeah, you God. just published it as well. My arse has dropped. <laughs> <laughs> my heart is pounding out my chest. I've got this out-of-body experience of just like, oh, put Paul, put Paul. Come and, look, come and look at my phone. What do we do? And we sat there, and it's like, do we run in the studio and immediately just pull that away? I'm glad we didn't. We sat there and just went, nah. Nah, it doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. Anyway, it turned out the chairman had told him if it was leaked prior to this press conference, he was going to take the contract off him and offer it to somebody else. Um, now, we went around the houses and double-checked and triple-checked with the sources that had given us the story. Uh, and it turned out he was the guy that was revealed. Uh, and then, fortunately, right before 3 o'clock, when we're, we're not too sure what we're going to do in the, the 3 o'clock news, and he just, he just sent back a winky face with... I bet I got you. And that was it. And that was, you know, that was absolutely fantastic. You know, great story, really. Great story for, for him. But that, that was how it was. And, and you had that buzz of chasing those stories. Now you don't get that because you do your big press conference. And, and you know, one of the things I think I was always very good at doing was I was good at interviewing people and getting them to say a little bit more than maybe they wanted to. You don't get that opportunity now because you don't have that personal relationship with them. And when you ask those difficult questions, you know, you're asking it, but you're just one of 30 journalists that's asking a question. So why are they going to give you a more considered answer? You yeah. know, because they, they might have a relationship with you, but everybody else is going to get it. And that was something I always hated. Like, if I was going to go and research an interview, and then I was going to sit there, look them in the eye and say, realistically have you taken this as far as you can have you lost a jet dressing room you know if I'm willing to sit there at a meter's distance and ask those questions why should and, and it got to this point where the, our commercial rivals would send the work experience kid down to the press conferences and they just put the mic on the front desk we would do all the work they'd pick it up at the end they would never ask one question take it all back and they have the same material as mm. us mm. and that used to drive me crazy with the internet now you know how do, how do you get an exclusive story it's even harder it's harder mm. than ever you, you can't and with the clubs they want their piece of the action you know some clubs we worked really really well with and still work very very well with like Sheffield United I would say is a, a great example where they will take all of the Radio Sheffield interviews and they would, you know, utilize them across their social media feed because their press just said, look, they're the best interviews. So we get to use all of that content. Hmm. Yeah, no, it's. Uh... So I didn't answer your question at all. So <laughs> <laughs> but I told you a couple of stories, so it's all yeah, good. Yeah, that's all good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, got a bit of a bit of a random random question. Have you got any 
like where you've, you've you've named a couple, but more uh, like funny, funny experiences, maybe like awkward. Uh, oh like god, yeah. Things that went wrong that you can look not that maybe not at the time it was not funny, but looking back it's a bit of a. a uh, yeah, there's there's loads of them. Yeah. I mean, um, w- one of the things when I was working down in London, th- there's something called the regional desk, and your job would be to send out every hour a minute's worth of copy that is called the rip and read and you would just rip it off and you could read it and so it'd be a minute's worth of sports news that goes to all the BBC stations and is snapped across all of the wires and I was writing something it was, it was after the terrorist attacks in New York in 2001 and Lennox Lewis donated £100,000 whatever it was towards the victims of the terrorist attacks and I'm I missed some words so it was donated a hundred thousand to the terrorists to the terrorists and of course this is <laughs> 5 30 in the morning and there will be some people who went on air and just read that anyway I had like top line on the on the old news production system it was like, bing 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 <laughs> You didn't mean that, did you? <laughs> so that, that was quite embarrassing. There was another one at Bramall Lane where when the three of us were working, quite often I would do the pitch side role. And loved it. Like, we got away with bloody murder. You know, we would do stuff so, like, so cheeky. Like, during the game, we'd, we'd ask questions of the people on the bench, you know, the subs or whoever, or you would, like, right at the end of the game, straight on the pitch, go and do an interview with whoever. Um half time just interview like literally did anything we wanted uh, for these night games particularly anyway there's this one night game and at half time I'd done an interview with some fans and then I'd done an interview with a player coming back from injury and I'm absolutely busting (laughs) so no major deal you know and we the way that it worked with with radio mics is you had a radio mic, but you would listen off a transistor radio. So your off-air feed would just be what people are listening to. And there's a tiny delay, but like literally tenth of a second, something like that. So your voice would echo a bit. But you had no way of talking or communicating with the person up in the commentary box. It'd just be either points. So like if it was away games, so they would just point at you and you'd start talking. Or you'd be listening off a telephone queue. Or you would, um, you know, you'd listen off the radio and you would just pick up and you'd start talking. Anyway, gets to the end of halftime, right? Absolutely busting. So run up to the back of the stand at Bramall Lane, run straight in, under my armpit, and I start having a wee. At which point, well, he's a player that's uh, he's gone down just outside the penalty area, looks to be in quite a lot of pain. Seth, uh, you're somewhere near there. Um, what can you see? at which point the ambient sound of me weeing (laughs) in the uh, in the Bramall Lane toilets (laughs) is the only thing I can hear so I've ripped I've I've ripped out mid flow I've I've ripped out the the cord so all of a sudden you go well we seem to have a few technical difficulties down there and they hadn't twigged what had gone off 
well, we'll see whether Seth can get things um, sorted out and we'll see whether we can, uh, yeah, we'll get that sorted sooner rather than later. So I'll like finish and what have you and plug everything back in and go back out. And, right. And obviously they can see that the signal's back on. You know, there's like three little green lights so they can see it was back corresponding. It. Um, well, let's go back down pitch side, Seth. Uh, Seth, what did you see? I said, oh, oh, Paul, would you like me to be honest? Well, yeah, I think it's always the best policy. Didn't see anything about the injury, but you did catch me mid-flow in the toilets on concourse. <laughs> <laughs> at, at which point that became just like one, one of those moments where, you know, pe people got to laugh along with yeah. you and, mm -hmm. and, and be part of all of that. And that's, you know, that's what it's all about. It's nice. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, got your own Chris Kamara moment. <laughs> yeah, in, in its own way, in its own way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, then moving on, I guess, uh, to like sort of the section where we want to ask for advice. So obviously, us, we're young, aspiring journalists. But what what would be like your your advice? Because obviously, it's it's changed a lot, hasn't it? Now since when yeah. you were younger. So yeah, it has it's changed tons. Um, I think my advice is, is is always the same though. Like you gotta love it, and you know, as somebody now that, that spends a lot of time with with, with you guys and your generation the number of students I meet that don't love sport they love the Premier League or like the Premier League but they don't love sport and they don't love sports journalism and it's so far beyond me you know going back to what I was saying about where I fell in love with it all and what my relationship is and when I say things like just go away and listen to a radio commentary or you know watch a TV news bulletin and it's like I've asked them to go and you know plaster a room or take down a wall or go down the coal mine and, and it's it's just so far beyond like I would have killed to have gone on a sports journalism course there wasn't one that existed when I was 18, 19, 20 it, it probably would have been the thing that focused my mind at school to have done way better than, than I actually did I had no interest, you know. I'd travelled a lot by by that time, and I, I wasn't bothered about what results I got at school. It wasn't interesting to me because I felt my career was going to go in a completely different path, um, and it wasn't going to be an academic path. And and I think that's one of those. I think that's one of those things that for for you guys, first of all, be passionate and love it. The second part is yes, yes, of course. Mm -hmm more than happy to what whatever it is you find a way to do it and you might be terrible but who knows whether you're going to be terrible or not unless you've done it it's about getting that foot in the door yeah and can you make the tea yeah of course i can can you get the papers yes of course i can what do you need me to do do you do you mind if i just come in and, and watch your program go out do you mind you know like there's got to be that bit where you are upfront enough to, to kind of put yourself forward and do you mind if I have your number you know I've got a great contacts book mm -hmm. and it, it doesn't people just don't walk up and say here's my number like you foster that relationship or you, you, you ask that question oh, do, you mind, do you mind if I give you a call on that or could I have your number and whatever would you mind just dropping me a message on that all of those kind of things really really help and I think that kind of the, the final piece I suppose for me is waiting 
you know, patience. You boys have had to wait to get into the studio today for about an hour and a half. Uh, and that's, that is actually sports journalism. Mm -hmm. You know, you're always waiting. And I, you know, I once added up the hours in a week that I waited for managers to be ready to do their interviews. I have something like 15 hours. 15 hours in one week. And that's, that's it. And, and you start to, you know, this is not a glamour, glamorous life. Outside of the very, very few, you're not going to earn mega money. But it is an industry where you can get to go to work every day and talk about something you love. Yeah. It is an industry where you can get... I've been to the World Cup three times. I've been at five different Olympic Games. I've broadcast on... You know, five different continents, and it's amazing. Like the the places I've been, the the things that I've seen, the people that I've met, it's remarkable. But it's you know, like I'm not going to be rich at the end of this. It's you know, there isn't going to be a quick retirement plan out of it. it. It's it's not like that at all. You know, I think probably the most money I ever earned was probably forty three grand a year. Mm -hmm. And is that mega money? Not really, not when you've got a wife and two kids and, and what have you, you know, but it's something that I loved to do. Yeah, that's and, what really matters, isn't it? Yeah, and and not everybody's that way, but it's very easy to become bitter. You know, well, I could earn more money in a call centre working nine to five. It's not a nine to five job. You, you commit to working weekends, you commit to working night times. If you love it, you don't care. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But if you don't love it then all of those things are going to really frustrate you yeah. and the financial payoff from doing this is outside of the exceptions is never going to be enough to to force you to go right you know 100% this is what I'm doing you, it's got to be that other thing that drives you whether that's ego whether that's desire whether that's just a, a love for the whole thing um, and then you see what doors open for you and you know I think the final bit of that is that nothing's ever beneath you. But by the same respect, nothing's ever too far away from you. Mm -hmm. And if you get asked to do anything, you know, um, I'm talking to you guys today. On Wednesday, I'm doing a piece with Tim Vickery and Dot and Adebayo. Now, they're, those guys are, if you've never listened to the World Football phone-in, it is an institution on Five Live. Tim Vickery is individually, I would say, one of the best football broadcasters I've ever come across. English guy who moved over, over to South America to be with his girlfriend, uh, speaks fluent Portuguese, and he, he is a pundit on Globo, their main sports channel. He sits in the studio opposite the likes of Ronaldo, and offers his opinion on the game. He is a wonderful communicator, and his ability to bring sport, society, history, culture, all together in perspective. And you know, I would sit there with the World Football Phone, and, and it was two hours on a Friday night from two till four a.m. And it was when I was reading the sports overnights on Five Live. And you sit there in the studio, and Tim would be sitting in Rio. Don would be in the studio with you. 
and the three of us would be sitting there and we'd have these people phoning in and they would phone up with questions like yeah heard of a guy called Joaquin Sanchez playing in the uh, Chilean first division what can you tell us about him Tim would have no prior knowledge now some of these programs when he came back to the UK he would come and sit in the studio with us and he would sit there with a blank bit of paper right A4 sheet and he'd be like Juan Joaquin whatever his name was Write it down, as the guy's saying it. Yeah, I remember watching him in the uh, under-17s four years ago, and he's a this, and he's a that, and he's the other. And he has this knowledge of these players that is just unrivaled to anything that I've ever come across. And, you know, he has a great delivery, great way of doing it. Um... And he, he basically is this journalist that just manages to soak himself in it. And he very rarely goes out. Like, he'll go to these little championships, the 17s, the, the 20s, you know, the World Cup, whatever. He'll watch a little bit of Brazilian football. He'll go and drop in and watch a bit in Colombia. But South America-wise, he knows so, so much. Um, and so, you know, go, going back to what I was saying is, is that, you know, for, for you boys, you're at the other end of the journey. For those guys, they're like, as I say, Tim is the one of the finest. One of the finest. Mm. Any more? Anything we'd like to touch on, Kyle? Um, I think one of my questions would be, in terms of people that you've like met, in terms of like interviewing and everything, has there ever been any like really like not bad people, like rude, you know, everything like that? Oh yeah, quite a few of them. Um, Any like high profile, like really high profile ones, or um, well, I'm trying to trying to think of the the worst kinds of ones. There, there've been, you know, some. I, I, I'm trying to think who it was, but it, we were at a mix zone at. I think it might have been Marlon Harewood, you know. We're at mix zone at West Ham. And he's going by and, and people are shouting to interview him and he's pretending to be on the phone and his phone rang. <laughs> you know, that kind of behaviour. Yeah, yeah. I, I think probably the, the, the best story I have was we interviewed Pele and he came to Radio Sheffield and he came on Football Heaven. He stayed with us for 45 minutes. Just amazing. Just amazing. Paul and I sat in the studio with him chatting and he the end he posed for pictures with everybody and then apologized so sorry i have to go and he was being whisked off to whatever and the next day i was out at donny rover's training ground at cantley park and i'd done my manager interview and when i got there i'd said to the guy to the press officer steve utley at the time um can i speak to lewis guy lewis guy league one striker really like started at newcastle um and then I think he finished off at MK Dons somewhere like that. I think that year he'd scored maybe two goals or three goals. And I'd asked to do an interview with him. Anyway, we finished doing the interviews with the managers and went downstairs. And you, you go and wait outside where the dining room was. And I was waiting, I was waiting, I was waiting. 45 minutes I was waiting for this, this player. A couple of times I'd kind of given people a nudge. Hey, can you 
can try and give him a nudge and let him know that I'm still waiting for him. Anyway, after 45 minutes, I was like, sod this for a game of soldiers. I'm going. I walked out, and he's hiding behind a car in the car park. <laughs> and he goes, oh, sorry, mate. Sorry, sorry mate. I, uh, I didn't realize you wanted to do an interview with me. At which point, I gave him a pretty foul-mouthed tirade of, you knew full well that you wanted to do an interview. I'll do it now. I said, no, you won't. What do you mean? I just went, yesterday, I interviewed the greatest footballer of all time, and he gave me 45 minutes. Today, you were messing around, trying to hide from me, grow up, get a bit of class, and do one. <laughs> that was the cleaned up version of what I said. I was so, <laughs> a couple of expletives. Uh, I was yeah. so angry, so angry with him. <clears throat> He's like, oh, mate, 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 no, don't mate me. Get stuffed and walked out. And, you know, that's the... That's the thing. And funny enough, going back to where we started, my band ended up playing Donny Rover's end of season do at the race course, I think it was. And we, we were not a very good band. We were just a party band. And Lewis guy came up to me and he goes, you're rubbish. You're rubbish. And I just turned around to him and I said, hey, we just got paid 1,500 quid to do this. And this is my hobby. What's your excuse for being a terrible footballer? Oh, wow. Mic drop. <laughs> yeah, mic drop moment there. And he was like... <laughs> the funniest thing was, when he was at Milton Keynes, <laughs> I bumped into him. Hi, mate, how are you? Are you all right? Like, it was, and it was really funny, because he was, he was really sort of quite jovial and happy to see me and came over and shook hands. And it's really interesting that players sometimes forget that, because he was part of the Doncaster Rovers team that got two pr promotions ended up at Wembley uh, beating Leeds there and all of all of that kind of stuff so he was a, he was a, a player that was around all of that and I was associated with a lot of those good times but in the moment he was a kid that maybe just got lost a little bit in the as to who he was and what he was doing um, and never kind of figured it out and and probably a little bit later on he, he did figure all of this stuff out and that's one of the, the challenges you have with the, the guys that come through um, from the academies, you know, the, the, particularly the Premier League academies, where they've walked in and they've been given like five grand contracts off the bat, and they go mm. out and they have these loan smells, and they just can't appreciate, you know, the other the other parts of it, you know, the the other bits that you need for everything to make sense moving forward. And I think that that was one of the things. Do I hate him? No, not at all. But he's not in the top two. I tell you, who was impressive. So I'll flip that question around. In 2001, 2001, 2002, I, I went to a big hotel in Leeds, and England were playing at, um, I think it was before they played their game against Greece at Old Trafford. And it was all David Beckham era. Yeah. Big talk about his hair. <laughs> you know. And I was... The way that they did it is they had three rooms. So they had a TV room, they had written journalists, and they had radio journalists. And I was there for Team Talk. Um, so there was me. There was a guy called John Murray, who's now the BBC football editor. There was a guy from Talk Sport. I think, I think that might have been it. I think there was just the three of us. Anyway, David Beckham walks in. And we're going to do this pooled interview. So everyone's going to get three or four questions. 
David walks in, stretches out his hand, and he says, I am, I'm David. Nice to meet you. Hi, David, I'm Seth. Nice to meet you. Thanks for giving us some time. David, John, you know, he kind of goes down the line and he gets to the end of it and he named, he name checked each one of us when he was saying goodbye. Seth, thanks very much for coming. Really appreciate your support. John, great to see you again, mate. Well done. And that was, that to me, for a guy who was absolutely at the peak of his powers, um, he was this global icon and he, you know, he was bothered enough, whatever people say about him, he was bothered enough to, first of all, offer his name in his hand, and second of all, we all knew it's David bloody Beckham, um, but then to remember your name at the end of the 15-minute interview, you know, I, I think that's just remarkable, mm. re remarkable. And I've, I've never interviewed him since, um, you know, I, I don't think I'll get that opportunity now. But that to me was was mega, absolutely mega. Yeah, I think it is a, a bit of an issue nowadays with with like the the players coming through um, because they know that you know they don't really need to sort of uh, have relationships because they know that no matter what I do on Saturday it's a full house at the at the game. Yeah, and the story that I always well I got told was um, about Delhi Ali. Yeah, and it's 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 weird how it sort of worked out because you see like sort of the career he sort of turned out to have and it was when he was at England and this um, motivational speaker from Liverpool who'd, who'd been blown up in Afghanistan and had like this big story and stuff and then he'd come back had his amputation and then he broke the 10k world record yeah. for um, one-legged amputees and he goes into England, the England camp delivers the talk and then the second that he had finished his talk and it was like right, the players are free to do what they want. The one player who just got up was straight Deli Ali straight away. Because as soon as it was free time, Deli Ali up and went off. And I think that and now now you look at the career how is has has turned out. And it's sort of like you know, he did he didn't really care and stuff. Yeah, it's not uh, that they sh not that I'm not saying they need to be your best mate, but just like with the David Beckham bit, just a touch of class, like remembering, you know. Yeah, and that that's that's a huge thing, you know. And and why does he, to him does he remember the interview? No, it was one of about five million he did that year. Yeah. Did he need to remember my name? Who was I in the grand context? Mm -hmm. I'm nothing, absolutely nothing. But he bothered, and that that to me really impressed me about him. You know what? You know who was like that was Jose Mourinho, again, another guy who I've been in close proximity of on numerous occasions and he's always with me he doesn't know me from Adam but he's always been yes no problem I'll do the interview shake hands do the interview uh -huh. and then you get other managers who are just treat you like you're a complete numpty mm -hmm. and not willing to do anything for you and I always you know I always think that Mourinho's got a bit of a raw deal with some of the press Yeah, you know I, I think that he's he is what he is, right? But for him to have had the career that he's had and done the things that he's done with where he's come from is is quite remarkable. And, yeah, is there a bit of ego there? Yeah, I'm sure there is. Is there any more ego than Sir Alex Ferguson? Or any of the other guys that are at that level? Mm. I, don't, I don't think there necessarily is. People just didn't like the fact there was somebody there saying, yeah, I'm the special one. You know, like, but also, I sense with him, there's quite a lot of him poking fun at himself. Yeah, yeah, you know, w within all of that.
Yeah, I definitely think the media do sometimes drive the agendas to like um like whenever Manchester United this is a bit random, but whenever Manchester United sort of have a bad game, the some people in the media like to protect the the English players and it's all about like Bruno Fernandes, but um I guess that that is just the media. It's it's hit and miss, I suppose. I, some people just want to grab headlines. Yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah. They, they need eyeballs. They, yeah, they need they need eyeballs, and that's massively counterproductive to you if you want to do a job as. Yeah, that's an issue, isn't it? Because the one, like the the sensational title, gets more revenue, gets more attraction. Yeah. The one who's like actually trying to produce something genuine, and no one cares. People want to see like the the outlandish stuff. People want to listen to the outlandish people, um, but. Bring it on, <laughs> this, this yeah. industry. Uh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So, um, any other questions? That we didn't think that's about it today. Uh, I think there's one we talked about it earlier. Um, Seth, what teams do you support? Sheffield United. Oh, hey, oh hey, nice these, one. These are yeah. yeah, we're Blades. Uh, and that was that was the big question, right? When I was at Radio Sheffield, are you a Blade or an Owl? Um, and it. It, it, it was the irony of being, and this is a big step for some people. I would commentate on Sheffield Wednesday and be so excited when they scored. And people, how can you be? Well, first of all, it's your job. Mm-hmm. But second of all, like, what do you really want? If you're working for a local radio station, yeah. the best scenario is, for me, would have been Sheffield United first in the Premier League, Sheffield Wednesday second in the Premier League. Because your job just got so much better. You know, teams losing week after week or financial problems, it's hard work. You know, you go to a game and it's rubbish. But if you go to a game and it's great. I mean, I loved commentating on Donny when they were coming through because they played wonderful football. And they were just fun to watch. You know, you saw players expressing themselves, doing things in different ways. Um... Sheffield United, you know, the way they played under Chris Wilder. Play some great football. Right now they're playing some great football at times. But they're just fun to watch uh, and fun to be a part of. So, yeah, Sheffield United fan. Actually, when I was a kid, we used to go to Sheffield United for the quantity and Sheffield Wednesday to the for the quality. So we would go and watch Sheffield Wednesday against Liverpool, Everton, Man United, Arsenal. And we'd go and watch Sheffield United because it was walking distance. Or my dad would march, and I would be like, ah, <laughs> "Dad, slow down!" Um, and so, yeah, like Sheffield United would be my football team. But again, like I've never done the thing where I've watched football with my mates as an adult. Sixteen to eighteen, I didn't live in the country. Sorry, sixteen to eighteen, I did live in the country, but I was playing decent level ice hockey, so I was busy all weekend. 18 to 20, I didn't live in the country. From 20, I was working. Yeah. So I never did that thing where you go get hammered and watch a game or jump in the back of a van with your mates. Mm-hmm. So that that bit, like, I can't drink when I go to the football. No. Because it, it just feels weird to me. You know, I always feel a little bit like that's a, that's a place of... It's not work. Like when occasionally when I go down now, and I don't go and watch anywhere near as much as I used to. 
it's just somewhere just go and enjoy the game just go and watch the game go and see what happens and I think there's a bit of me that is now ultimately pragmatic like some days you win because you're better some days you win because they're worse some days you win just because you got lucky and for and that's a hard thing doing a phone in right where you do you do a phone in with a fan that says we're terrible today when in reality if that chance on 15 37 and 61 had gone in like they should they would have won 3-1 in the end a deflected shot from 25 yards that wrong foots the goalie a poor decision from the referee that was wrong and you've lost 2-0 and whilst it is a results business you know the moment that you understand it's about the process and not the result because you can never ever guarantee a result you can only guarantee a performance and that's the that's a huge step within the mindset of coaches managers but more so football supporters as well mm. is it is it difficult to separate the 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 work with the the hobby because I, i've listened to this thing and it's like don't get me wrong i'm someone who got the passion want sport right and whatever wants to to get into it but then there's also that argument that i've heard it said a couple of times when once you've got a hobby as soon as you start making money from that hobby suddenly it's no longer a hobby and you have the mindset uh oh, we have we have to do it now because it's a way of making money whereas in the infancy when you're not making money you love it every day do you sort of agree with that or do you just not? yeah no no 100 percent, i agree with that I really like football. Yeah. I don't love it anymore. You know, football is a tool of work in many respects. Yeah. And that just comes from the years where I was doing 100 and whatever games and where I was living it and it was the every single moment of my life. Mm-hmm. Now, I can take it or leave it. Yeah. It's very rare I make an appointment to watch the Champions League. I've got other things that are going off that's more important. I'll watch the final. During the World Cup, yeah, I'll watch all the games. and watch as many games as I can. Really enjoy that. Premier League, do I watch Match of the Day every week? No. Do I watch the Premier League Super Sunday? Do I watch Monday Night Football? No, because I've got other stuff. You know, I can't... I'm not a point in my life where I'm willing to give up four hours for sometimes some really crap football. You know? Yeah. Um, there are other sports that I'm more than happy to give time to. No, if I have a choice now, if you gave me a choice, have a ticket for anything that you want. Give me an Ashes Test Match ticket every day of the week, and I would take that above anything else. Um, now, in terms of sport that I consume, I listen to the baseball every night when I'm going to bed. The Yankees game starts about midnight. I put it on, and I listen. And it floats over me. And baseball is a sport. I covered four World Series. That's the only work I've ever done in it. But that's allowed me to be a fan. Yeah. And still be a fan of what's going on. And just to to accept what it is. And I'm sure football will come round the corner for me again. You know, and my oldest now is, is interested in Sheffield United. And he wants to watch the games. And I ask him if he wants to go to the games. He's not bothered. You know, he's not. He, he'll go. But he doesn't want to go all the time. 
which is good because he's busy doing other stuff so that's you know yeah. that's all part of it because I, d- I definitely see I agree with the sense that obviously I support Liverpool and like if my reality became talking or whatever about about Liverpool and then getting beat like every week and I could very quickly see it maybe becoming like oh like I like not no longer I want to I sort of have to but because um, I can definitely see how it can be changed from a hobby to to make it. Also, you you compromised a little bit as well. Yeah. Because your reaction of things that you may want to say, you can't say. Yeah. Because that that compromises you as a professional. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And so th- there are some of those things that kind of come into it as well. Mm. You know, I watch Sheffield United now, and I just watch them when they're on telly, or I'll quite often watch a stream of them. Um, and enjoy it, you know. Enjoy watching them for what it is, and allow myself to be a little bit more of a, a fan, if you like. But it's still a little bit within that context of I'm not just going to slag off the referee or the the manager because you know I just can't do that. I can't. Get, I'm, I'm there's a level of pragmatism of that's how it is, you know. Yeah. Leave that, leave that to the AFTVs of the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah. Um, what maybe. is quickly? What is what is your opinion on fan media? Because obviously, the overlap. It's Gary Neville's. He's sort of jumped on the bandwagon of seeing that fan channels are getting numbers. Whether it's credible, whether whatever your opinion is, you can't deny they're getting numbers. It's Gary Neville's brought in the overlap where it's they bring on the fans and they they get the fans' opinion. Do you, do you like that or? As somebody that hosted a football phone in for yeah, over a decade, yeah, yeah it's yeah. absolutely, you know, the fans are the are the absolute heartbeat of the game, and, and yeah. you, you need all of that. I think you just have to be, what you have to be aware of is, is that not everything is equal. Mm-hmm. And just because you have a platform, what you say doesn't, offer you more weight or less weight than somebody else and that's one of the things that is a challenge you know you think about it in the pub everybody's got an opinion just because you've got the loudest voice or you've got the most friends around you does it make your opinion any more valid than anybody else's not really Mm -hmm. Um, going back does the fact that I've done 1200 football matches in my career does that maybe give me more perspective on football than some of you guys? I would say it probably does. Yeah. Because there is a bigger sample size there and timeline, an ability to maybe look and, and read through a trend or the ability to, to read a match very quickly and be able to tell you what's going on. You know, and that's, it, it's interesting, that's one of the skills that I forgot that I kind of had. And we went and watched a, we went and watched a game at, at Bramall Lane midweek game, the Middlesbrough game, where Sheffield United were god awful. Um, and I was talking to my son at half time, and I said to him, I said, "Problem is this: they've got an issue down the left hand side. Left hand side midfielder defensively weak. Left backs are shambles. Left side centre half Robinson, mess. It's, it's a mess. That what the, what I would do is I think you need to take Berger I think you need to move him to the left side of midfield he needs to lock that down and become the, the focal point of all of that and then you're going to stop getting half time that's exactly what happened 
and get you in the doghouse. Yeah, but, but, but 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 <laughs> what you what you what you forget is when you watch so many games, mm-hmm. and part of your job when you're commentating is to analyse what's going on, to be able to understand it, to be able to explain it. You do, like you get to the point where you analyse very very quickly, yeah, and you're able to say, this is the issue because of that, because that's part of your gig. But at fifty games, you probably don't have that. Uh, 150 games you might not have that 500 games you you have that and you know you speak to the number of ex-pros that I spoke with where they would say things like when you said that I hadn't seen it he said and then I watched for the next 10 minutes bloody hell yeah absolutely bang on and that and part of that is just that experience of, of being a an American word, an analyst, if you like. You analyse what's going on in front of you and you, you kind of deal with that. Yeah, there's definitely more to it than, you know, effing and jeffing. Because, like, I can't, like, myself, as a consumer of, like, a lot of, like, media stuff, I can't, I can't listen to the fans who just swear. And, because if, if, if you've lost a game, I'm, I'd happily listen to someone articulate why they think the team's lost. Not, blaming everyone, like, saying all kinds of stuff. If they're going to actually sit down and give a constructed opinion, then that's what I, like, that's what I look for. Like, if I ever sort of did something like that, I wouldn't swear or... or yeah, yeah. Be more considered, but... And I think that's Im- that's really important. Yeah. And lastly, I, I wouldn't mind uh, commentating on Everton, but not Man United ever. <laughs> I could do, do Everton, you know what? I've got some mates who are big Everton. Like I don't. Everyone says, "Oh, do you want Everton to go down?" Laughing a joke, but no, I, I don't mind. But Man United, strictly no. But yeah, that pretty much. Unless you got any more? Questions? No, I think that's yeah, that's fine yeah. for today. That concludes the uh, the very first episode of Stories in Sports Journalism. Thanks to Seth. Lengthy yeah. stories yeah. in sports <laughs> journalism, <laughs> as it turned out to be. Yeah, of course. Thank you very much for taking Cheers, the time. Guys. We do appreciate it. Uh, make sure to follow Seth on his socials. You know what? I'm <laughs> going to quit Twitter, so don't follow me there. Oh, <laughs> no, that's the only social we had. <laughs> yeah, don't follow him on Twitter. He's quitting. Um, but yeah, so thank you everyone who has listened. Hopefully you've gained some knowledge. Um, and of course, thank you as well to my today co-hosts. How was it, lads? First episode? Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed it. I, uh, yeah, really, really intriguing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, thank you very much, and we hope to see you in episode two.